hppodcraft.com. Three times Randolph Carter dreamed of the marvelous city. And three times was he snatched away while still he paused on the high terrace above it. All golden and lovely it blazed in the sunset, with walls, temples, colonnades, and arched bridges of veined marble, silver basin fountains of prismatic spray, and broad squares and perfumed gardens, and wide streets marching between delicate trees and blossom-laden urns and ivory statues and gleaming rows, while on steep northward slopes climbed tiers of red roofs and old peaked gables harboring little lanes of grassy cobbles. It was a fever of the gods, a fanfare of supernal trumpets and a clash of immortal symbols. Mystery hung about it as clouds about a fabulous unvisited mountain, and as Carter stood breathless and expectant on that balustraded parapet, there swept up to him the poignancy and suspense of almost vanished memory. The pain of lost things, and the maddening need to place again what once had an awesome and momentous place. That was the opening paragraph of The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, a fantasy adventure. <laughs> by H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, it seems uh, that's uh, Randolph Carter, who is a character yeah. that we've seen before, and he's talking about the city of Las Vegas. <laughs> the city of Lost Vegas. Las Vegas. <laughs> Wait, who are you, sir? I am Chad Pfeiffer. Who are you? Oh, oh Chris Lackey. And um, this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We're here at hppodcraft.com. Chad and I are going to tackle this, the dream quest yeah. of Unknown Kadath. I think we both had some apprehension about getting into this. This is my first time finishing the book. Yeah, me too. I think that I read bits and pieces of it here and there. Uh-huh. Probably just the monster descriptions, really. <laughs> but, you know, I sat down and, and, and gave it a couple reads. And, uh, well, I, I think that you and I both had the impression that we weren't going to like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that impression came from the fact that I couldn't even get through the story. So, <laughs> Right. But, you know, I... As I went through it, you know, I like it a lot more now. I, I, there are lots of commendable things in it, and there's lots of entertaining stuff in it, and I'm looking forward to getting into some of that. But it is a very difficult Oh, that's read. funny. That's funny that you liked it. You know who didn't like it? Who? Who thought it was a really bad story? Who's that? H.P. Lovecraft. Really? No, he didn't like this story. What did you have to say about it? Well, before I let H.P. dig into it, I just wanted all the listeners, you know, if we seem a little harsh on this story, yeah. I think you should look at what Lovecraft said about it. And specifically, he says, actually, it isn't much good, but forms useful practice for latter and more authentic attempts in the novel form. Good. He practiced here and then he delivers. Um, yeah, soon the, with the case of Charles Dexter Ward. The case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is yeah. a great novel. Yeah. He also said about it, Carter's adventures may have reached the point of palling on the reader or that the very plethora of weird imagery may have destroyed the power of any one image to produce the desired impression of strangeness. Which is a sentiment I shared about the story as well. Yeah, I have to agree yeah. with it. Well, without getting into specifics, I think we should mm-hmm. just uh, tackle the story. So that opening paragraph, Carter sees this city and is absolutely in love with it. Yeah. But three times he's snatched away from it. He feels like he knows this place somehow. It's really close to him. It seems, seems important. So he, he prays. He prays to the, to the mm-hmm. uh, hidden gods of dream that brood capricious right. above the clouds of unknown Kadath. And after he prays to them, uh, they just cut off his visions. They say, nope, done. You can't see it anymore. Yeah, he doesn't see the city anymore. And it, yeah. it may be because he prayed to them. He's just not getting any uh, dream action from these guys. No. 
So he decides to go to Gadath, where the, the great ones, these gods that he prayed to, these secret gods of dream, that's where they live, in an yep. onyx castle. Nobody's ever been there. Nope. He's going to go there, and he's going to demand to see his city. Mm-hmm. And that is really the most efficient thing in the story. They get to that in about four paragraphs. Yeah. The motivation for the entire thing. And that's not bad. This opening part, I was, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I got snagged. I'm like, okay, wow, he's going to go find it. Yeah. And so Carter, I mean, he's, you know, he's a brave guy. He's a very, he's, he's a little different than other Lovecraft protagonists. He's a man of action. He didn't get what he wanted. He decides right away, I'm going to Kadath and I'm going to find out what's going on. Right. He takes the 77 steps down to the uh, Cavern of Flame to see the priests, Najd yeah. and Kamantha, who, who were those priests that he'd already kind of prayed to. They pointed out that the Great Ones had shown already their wish and that it is not agreeable to them to be harassed by insisted pleas. They reminded him, too, that not only had no man ever been to unknown Kadath, but no man had ever suspected in what part of space it may lie, if in our dreamland it might conceivably be reached. But only three fully human souls since time began had ever crossed and recrossed the black, impious gulfs to other dreamlands. And of that three, two had come back quite mad. There were in such voyages incalculable local dangers as well as that shocking final peril, which gibbers unmentionably outside the ordered universe, where no dreams reach. That last amorphous blight of nethermost confusion which blasphemes and bubbles at the center of all infinity. The boundless demon sultan Azathoth, whose name no lips dare speak aloud and who gnaws hungrily in inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and the thin, monotonous whine of accursed flutes, to which detestable pounding and piping dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, Tenebrous, mindless other gods whose soul and messenger is the crawling chaos, Nyarlathotep. So we get a little geography. And we find out a little history that three people have gone out past the Earth's dreamlands into these other realms. But only one guy came back with his sanity intact. And we also get a little... Uh what do you call it, cosmology? We know that there are these great ones that are the kind of gods of dream, Earth's gods, and then mm -hmm. there are the other gods who live outside of all these realms. The typical Lovecraftian gods that you know we often speak of. And it brings back both Azathoth and Nyarlathotep. Carter, undeterred by any warnings. Yeah, he just says, you know, thanks, thanks for the advice, but I've got to do this. This is important to me. So he beats it, and then he goes deeper into dreams by going down the 700 steps to the gate of deeper slumber. That leads, that leads to the Enchanted Wood. Yeah, the Enchanted Wood. And down there are the Zoogs, who are, uh, they're small and brown. They're like dangerous little Ewoks or something, I, I thought. His description of them is really vague, but they're like smaller, dangerous, flitty yeah. creatures that are brown. They're slippery. But Carter knows them, and he's got some treaties with them. He, they helped him previously find Celepheus, yeah. where uh, King Curanes reigns, he mentions. Yeah, who's a buddy of his. He knew Karani's in life. And we know yeah, yeah. Karani's because of the story Celephase. Celephase. We also know about the Zoogs that they like stories. They love them. But they do. They sit around, they tell each other stories. So right away, it's a little different from your typical Lovecraft story and more like a, a 
fantasy story when he's saying, you know, there's these monsters that like stories, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not typical. No, it's, it's, there's like a little civilization, a, you know, the little culture that's different from yeah. ours. It's like an alien culture, which is almost, you know, science fiction fantasy. Well, so Carter heads into that enchanted wood to this Zoog stone circle where he knows a lot of them gather. He sees a bunch of their eyes pop up in the dark. He says, you know, you always see their eyes first and they come out to see him. And he, he, I think he speaks in their little fluttery language, right? Yeah. He goes, there's a lot of times in this thing where Carter's using the parlance of all the different monsters, and those, yeah. those are some of my favorite. Uh, I would love to see them dramatized. Uh. So they come out, and uh, the Council of Sages, you know, they know not to harm him. I think a couple of the zoos kind of nibble at him or check him out, like they might want to get a piece of that, but. Um, but because of all these treaties and this experience, the, the Council of Sages, they're like, no, no, Zooks, you know, this guy's cool. In fact, they give him some, uh, some, some beverage. Yeah, some moon wine. Yeah, moon wine, right. <laughs> There's a haunted moon tree there, and they get some wine from it. And his modus operandi is everybody he meets, he's going to kind of interrogate. Yeah. What do you know? Yeah, I'm looking, look, I'm looking for Kadath. Can you help me out? A brother needs to know where Kadath is. That's right. The Zooks, they don't know specifically anything about it, but they do know that the narcotic manuscripts are an author, and there might be some stuff in the Nicotic Manuscripts that mm -hmm. might be able to tell him where Kadath could be. And not just the Nicotic Manuscripts. They, they say that there's an old priest in uh, Ulthar who scaled a mountain to see the other gods at one point mm -hmm. and made it back. I gotta admit, like this, just this far into the story, there was a sort of nerdy payoff for yeah, me. Yeah, me too. It, that, that you and I have gone through all of these stories chronologically. Yeah. I know everything. The characters, all the people that are showing up, all the references, I know them. It's so great. This is from the story of the other gods. And yeah. and we find out this is Atoll. And Atoll mm -hmm. was the little boy from the Cats of Ulthar story. Yeah. And then who later shows up as he's kind of the apprentice of Barzai the Wise. Mm -hmm. And you remember when Barzai went up to the mountain and tried to see the other gods. He got sucked up into the sky. Yeah. So I don't know. It's cool to have that payoff there. I think that yeah. if I, you know, when I pick the story up later, there's so much, everything seems so random, it's hard to follow. But because you and I have gone through all these stories, I was actually able to really understand who people were and what was going on. Yeah, it was a lot more familiar to me. And it's sort of, he obviously didn't, plan on when you're reading the story that you're going to have read all of his other stories and then get everything. I don't think Lovecraft actually intended for anybody to read it. Now, no. maybe he did and he was just being cute about it, but he wrote this sort of for his own amusement and I don't think he even sent it out to his friends, which is usually what he would do. He would circulate yeah. his own stories. It might just be that he had a, got a big kick out of taking all of his characters and throwing them into a bag and toss them up yeah. and see what happens. Carter gets that information about Ulthar and he takes off. And well, the Zoogs give him a gourd of moon wine to, for the road. And some Zoogs kind of creep up behind and follow. Yeah, they follow him to, to Ulthar. And I guess they just, they just want to find out what happens with him because they like stories. They want to come home and say this is what went down. They're kind of yeah. creepy voyeur little guys, actually. At noon he walked through the one broad high street of Nier, which he had once visited and which marked his farthest former travels in this direction. And soon afterward, he came to the great stone bridge across the sky, into whose central pier the Masons had sealed a living human sacrifice when they built it 1,300 years before. Once on the other side, the frequent presence of cats, who all arched their backs at the trailing zoogs, revealed the near neighborhood of Ulthar. For in Ulthar, according to an ancient and significant law, no man may kill a cat. Mm. So he's getting closer to Ulthar and he's bringing in that legend. Yep. It's funny. You and I were talking on the phone about this story uh, about a week and a half ago mm -hmm. uh, and how it would make a good movie, actually. Yeah. And my cats were around 
<laughs> and I was the other night I was in my bedroom and I heard this like whooshing sound on the floor. My cat had slipped his headshot under the door. <laughs> Carter arrives in Ulthar, and he seeks out Atal, mm-hmm. who is 300 years old now. So we saw him as a little boy, we saw him as an apprentice, and now he's this old, old man. He's an old man. Atal says something which I found interesting. He says, look, the Great Ones, yes, they are just the gods of Earth, mm-hmm. but they're protected by the other god. Mm-hmm. You know, the other gods sucked my old boss into the sky, so that's not something you want to mess with. Yeah. I thought that was interesting that Earth's gods are protected by the other gods. Yeah, that is a, a, a strange concept. Like, what... What use do the other gods have for the the great ones? Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. Does it's very, it's very alien, very strange, and it's never really uh, addressed. No. After this, uh, Atoll just says, "You know, I'm not going to help you out. You shouldn't get involved in this stuff. These guys are bad news. I should know." Then Carter goes, "Okay, well, what about the beautiful, you know, this beautiful sunset city that I see?" And Atoll's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Still, so. Carter's like, yeah. you know what? Maybe we, you should have a little moon wine with me, and we should <laughs> we should party a bit. Then Carter did a wicked thing, offering his guileless host so many drafts of the moon wine which the Zoogs had given him that the old man became irresponsibly talkative. Robbed of his reserve, poor Atal babbled freely of forbidden things, telling of a great image reported by travelers as carved on the solid rock of the mountain Ingranek on the Isle of Oriab in the Southern Sea, and hinting that it may be a likeness which Earth's gods once wrought of their own features in the days when they danced by moonlight on the mountain. And he hiccuped likewise that the features of that image are very strange, so that one might easily recognize them, and that they are sure signs of the authentic race of the gods. Aha! <laughs> get a few drinks in Atal and he, he spills the beans. So That's right. the the great ones, those gods, would come down and nail earth chicks. <laughs> right. Which is pretty typical, you know, in, in mythology that a lot of times gods will nail earth chicks and have offspring. Zeus uh, sure. and Leda, the, when Zeus turned into a swan and came down and, and got with Leda. Yeah. Which is always one of my favorite mythological stories. Right, right. Just do a Google search for Leda and the swan. Mm-hmm. There is so much... Uh, pornographic material (laughs) from no but i mean from the middle ages like from you know because for some reason i think that it was more accessible or it was more acceptable for people to look at naked women in sexual positions if they were with an animal than if they were with a man which would have been forbidden so there actually it's just so many paintings of this hot woman getting with this swan it's almost a little creepy a little creepy and now you know what I do with my Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> if I can go to Negronic and I can look at this sculpted face and I can know what the gods look like, then all I have to do is go around the dreamlands and find people that look like that face. Right. And if they look like that, that means that the gods are nearby because the gods aren't going to go very far to get their hookups. No. So wherever those people live that have faces that are like the gods, they have to be very near to Kadath. So he's got a plan. And then Atal, but he he doesn't know where Negranic is. He just says, no. you know, I, it's somewhere around, I don't know. Uh, but if you go to Dilathleen, if you go down there to the city, uh, which is kind of on the, the south shore, uh, you might be able to find some merchants that know, you know, where this place is. People of Ulthar don't go to Dilathleen because there's these galleys that come in. The black galleys. Yeah, and nobody sees the rowers. It's bad stuff. They think it's kind of strange and unhealthy so Ulther they don't trade with those folks then that's about that's all he gets really out of Adol yeah it's all passes out puts him to bed 
he tucks him in and you know um, probably puts a little little bucket by his bed in case he gets sick and stuff <laughs> and when he comes out he sees there's no zoogs following no. him anymore but he does mm. see a bunch of cats licking their chops <laughs> yeah so there's been a there's been a murder most foul yeah well and and he he realizes that the cats you know, killed and ate the zoogs that were going yeah. around. And But there's a reason to this, because he remembers that there was a, a, a cute little kitten, little black kitten that he saw, and there was some zoogs kind of looking at it hungrily. Yeah. You know, kind of threatening and menacing this little kitten. And since Carter is a big friend of the cats, he loves his cats, he just pets the cat, you know, that's licking his chops, you know, like saying, yeah, it's all right that you killed those zoogs. Yeah, and later when he gets up in to settle in for the night, the little, little black kitten comes up and curls up with him and you know, frolics and entertains him. Uh, so the next day, Carter jumps in with some merchants on their way to Dilathlene. They travel six days, mm-hmm. and they get there. People know about Negronic. They they say a ship comes from Baharna on the island of Oriv, where mm-hmm. Negronic is. Yep. Uh, and if you could jump on that ship and head out with them, from their port, it's just, just a zebra ride away to get to that. Yeah, mountain. two day zebra ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they're they're very careful to say nobody ventures on the side of the mountain that has that face on it. Yeah. Nobody does that. Yeah, because, well, on that side of the mountain, it's just a bunch of lava, and it's really treacherous, and stuff. people just don't go over there. Uh, that's about all he can get from those people, because... It was hard to get this information from the traders and sailors of Dilith Lean's sea taverns, because they mostly preferred to whisper of the black galleys. One of them was doing a week with rubies from its unknown shore, and the townsfolk dreaded to see it dock. The mouths of the men who came from it to trade were too wide, and the way their turbans humped up at two points above their foreheads was in especially bad taste. (laughs) It's in bad taste. (laughs) They're just tacky, these guys. Well, people in Delathlene are also, they're kind of mad about those unseen rowers, partly because it's creepy, but partly because the rowers don't come above board and come buy stuff. Like yeah, they're really just mad because it hurts their businesses. The merchants that come off the ship, they don't buy anything to stock up the ship except for slaves. Yeah. Also, there's a terrible uh, odor that comes from those galleys yeah. that kind of permeates the port. And so people, so that they don't have to deal with it, they, they smoke thagweed. <laughs> <laughs> they have to constantly smoke strong thagweed so they can bear the stench. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's a little clear that maybe you should smoke some thagweed before you read this story. Yeah, that might help. That might, no yeah. way. No way could you get through this story on Thagweed. <laughs> <laughs> you would read two sentences of it and then be on to something else. This yeah. this story requires a lot of desire and focus and attention to get through, folks. <laughs> Carter's in the port. He's waiting for that Baharna ship. Yep. Um, Which is going to be about a month before it comes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Most while. people, they don't know anything. Although, uh... He once thought that a certain old slant-eyed merchant looked queerly intelligent when the cold waste was spoken of. This man was reputed to trade with the horrible stone villages on the icy desert plateau of Leng, which no healthy folk visit, and whose evil fires are seen at night from afar. He was even rumored to have dealt with the high priest, not to be described, which wears a yellow silken mask over its face and dwells all alone in a prehistoric stone monastery. So we introduce this strange slant-eyed fellow. Now, a lot of people uh, try and connect him to Haster and the King in Yellow, but Lovecraft doesn't actually read Robert Chambers for another couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah, because he mentions when he first reads it in one of his letters, and that's two years later. So Lovecraft is actually maybe tapping into the collective unconsciousness on this one. 
Yeah, really, that's yeah. cool. I just assumed that he was pulling that right out of Robert Chambers. But... No, no. Huh. Yeah. Well, the black galley shows up, and it's it's foul. Yeah, it's some nasty stuff. You know, they start coming off and rustling their slaves together and getting all that going. And one of the wide-mouthed merchants hears about Carter and what he's asking about. And they have some cocktails together. Yeah. He goes back, hey, come back to my place. Let's have a few few drinks. And yeah. Carter thinks, hey, I'm going to get some info out of this guy. So I'm going to, you know, play my 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 trick, my good trick that seems to work all the time. Right. Give him some, some moon wine. And then uh, the merchant says, this is pretty good, but I've got some wine of my own. And he digs that out and gives uh, a drink to uh, Carter. To Carter, yeah. Yeah. And he slips him a Mickey. He passes out. Yeah. Boom. That's it. That's it for Carter. As Carter slipped into blankness, the last thing he saw was that dark, odious face convulsed with evil laughter and something quite unspeakable where one of the two frontal puffs of that orange turban had become disarranged with the shakings of that epileptic mirth. Carter wakes up uh, on the Black Galley, and in the paragraph where they describe the lands and the things that they're going by, he actually story checks the white ship yeah, there's a couple white ship places that get mentioned as he goes through uh, through this. He talks about the lighthouse keeper in ancient Kingsport. He sees from where, you know, the stuff, the geography that they're passing, that these guys are headed for Cthuria. Yeah. And he knows that beyond Cthuria, there's gates to this waterway that leads yeah. off to outer space and eventually to, to Azathoth. He assumes they kidnapped him to keep him from the city that he desires and to deliver him to Azathoth and Nyarlathotep. Yep. That the other gods are in on this. He's pretty upset by this whole thing. This is sort of some strange imagery, too, is where this boat shoots off into space. The spray of that cataract rose to obscure the stars, and the deck grew damp, and the vessel reeled in the surging current of the brink. Then, with a queer whistle and plunge, the leap was taken, and Carter felt the terrors of nightmare as Earth fell away, and the great boat shot silent and comet-like into planetary space. Never before had he known what shapeless black things lurk and caper and flounder all through the ether, leering and grinning at such voyagers as may pass, and sometimes feeling about with slimy paws when some moving object excites their curiosity. These are the nameless larvae of the other gods, and like them are blind and without mind and possessed singular hungers and thirsts. So they, they hit that waterway and phew, off into outer space. But... Yeah, he thinks they're going to take him to Azathoth at the center of the universe, but they kind of veer off of it and they head to the moon. And not just the moon, the dark side of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. This is Lovecraft's Wizard of Oz. This shares a lot of commonalities with the Wizard of Oz in the way it that does. it ends, in the way that he goes out and he acquires allies and gets involved in these sort of otherworldly larger conflicts. Though so mm-hmm. I just found it amusing in a very circuitous way that he mentions the dark side of the moon there since that <laughs> album is so linked up with Wizard of Oz, etc. <laughs> it, it all ties together, Chad. It does, man. It does. <laughs> They fly over the moon. There's temples and things here and there. They flip uh-huh. by some moon igloos. Because there's Eskimos on the moon. There's Eskimos on the moon, of course. <laughs> and they land in some oily kind of water, and there's some more sailing. They arrive in the city with big towers that are kind of leaned and bent with, with no windows. And there's glowing fungus uh, all over the place. And then they get to the wharves of this city with the leaning towers, and Carter sees who lives there. So they were not men at all, or even approximately men. But great grayish white slippery things 
which could expand and contract at will, and whose principal shape, though it often changed, was that of a sort of toad without any eyes, but with a curiously vibrating mass of short pink tentacles on the end of its blunt, vague snout. Carter gets locked up. Yeah, he gets thrown in a jail, for, and he doesn't know how long. It could be days. But then they take him, they finally pull him out of there, and they bring him to kind of this courtyard. And there's all of these, you know, near humans and moon beasts all kind of lined up, and they have torches, and it's dark, and there's some kind of ceremony or something's going to happen. So the, he assumes that this whole, you know, procession here, what they're going to do is they're going to give him over to Azathoth. Yeah, well, to Nyarlathotep. To, to Nyarlathotep, who's yeah, the, who's going who's, who's to take him then to Azathoth. And then he hears this cry off in the distance. Meow. <laughs> oh, I got really man. excited about this part, man. It's the cats. This is uh, so cool. Cool is the word you're using for it? That is the word I'm using. All of these cats show up. <laughs> they they show up and attack and free him. Yeah, yeah, the ba- yeah, a ton. I mean, hundreds of cats show up and kick ass. They like It's seven- so psychedelic. I just thought it was really weird and kind of lame in a way i I just it seemed ridiculous to me like that a guy would be attacked by a bunch of cats you know what i mean it just yeah well they're going at the throats of the monsters seven at a time you know thunder 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 cats go you know it's very exciting battle and um you know he only spends like one and a half paragraphs actually describing it which kind of upset me he'll spend paragraph (laughs) after paragraph talking about what some tower looks like but when it gets down to a bunch of cats fighting a bunch of toad things with tentacles Where's the description, man? I want a play-by-play of what that looks like. (laughs) And Carter actually tries to help out in the battle, but all he feels are the soft paws, you know, of his friends rushing to and fro over the fray. (laughs) And when the battle's over, the cats, uh... (laughs) It's so lame. It's great! Are you kidding me? The cats talk. The cats talk in in cat language, which, of course, Carter uh, speaks and understands. Well, sure. So, they, yeah. So, there's a long scene here where it's meow, 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 meow. <laughs> but why didn't they bring that? Why didn't Carter? I mean, this is some bad writing, oh, in in my opinion, because this should have been established earlier when he first ran into the cats that he could talk, that the cats could talk, and that he could also speak cat. There's a few things like that that happen in the story where suddenly Carter knows something that you really wish he'd known before. I guess it's just dream logic, or Lovecraft wasn't being that careful about it. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he he talks to the cats. And they're all rapping. Well, they say, or we noticed that you were nice to the little kitten when we killed all the Zoogs. And, yeah. And because of that, we wanted to help you out. But we can't stick around because the cats of Saturn are going to be showing up soon. Yeah, that's right. They also like the moon. I love the cats of Saturn. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. I got really obsessed for a while with old science fiction movies where people went to planets that were just populated by women. You know, yes. there was like Queen of Outer Space and Devil Girls of the Devil Girls from Mars or Devil Girls from the Moon. I mean, cats of Saturn would have been just a perfect title for one of those movies. <laughs> the cats are like, yeah, we got to get out of here because the cats of Saturn are going to show up. Now, I, I understand Lovecraft saying, you know, look, cats sleep about twice as much as humans. They're always asleep. And, you know, they love murdering things. So yeah. it makes sense. And then their dreams are just running around. They like hanging out on the moon while they sleep and they like murdering stuff. So I'm buying it. Earlier in the story, he talks about how cats sort of always, you know, are off going places, but nobody really knows where they go. And then this is sort of his revelation. It's like, oh, yeah, we go to the dark side of the moon. Yeah, they go to the dark side of the moon. And they goof around. <laughs> how do they get there? You may ask. <laughs> they just leap through space the same yes. way they're about to go back they with just, Carter. They leap through space with Carter. Yeah, they say like, hey, watch out because space is dangerous. Just get in between all of us and we'll show you when to leap and scamper and purr and stuff. And they all leap together 
and Carter's in the middle of it, and it's just kind of a nice ride in the cat yeah, mask. Like a, ca- a cat sandwich. Uh, uh, a that sounds cat. so awesome. I really want to take that ride. <laughs> There's a bunch of cats around you and just be like, Meow, flying through space. Oh, my gosh. This might be my favorite part of the story, especially they take him back to Dilathleen, and it says, uh, The old leader from Ulthar was the last to leave. And as Carter shook his paw, he said he would be able to get home by cockcrow. <laughs> Please, we got to make this into a movie. I, w- I almost want it to be like that scene in Predator when they clasp hands and you see their biceps. And Carter comes yeah. in and it's just like, meow, and it's him in the paw. Yeah, we did I just couldn't, good I couldn't stop thinking of uh, Toons as the driving cat during this whole, <laughs> this whole part there. You know, like it's just some crappy cat puppet that he's like shaking hands with for some. It's yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, when we make this movie, we'll just throw stuffed cats at a bunch of frogs <laughs> and slow and slow it down. <laughs> this will be the special effects. <laughs> oh boy! <sighs> Carter makes some arrangements uh, with the captain to go to Barharana. That uh, boat ride's going to take him ten days to get there. And during his week of waiting. He talked much with that captain of Ingranic, and was told that very few had seen the carven face thereon, but that most travelers are content to learn its legends from old people and lava gatherers and image makers in Baharna, and afterwards say in their far homes that they have indeed beheld it. I actually thought that was a great sentence. People, when they go on vacation in Baharna, they go, oh, yeah, I climbed around. I saw that big face on the granite. It looks like uh, looks like Abraham Lincoln. You know, or they, <laughs> they just make it up. Everybody goes and says, yeah, yeah, I totally saw it, but oh, nobody does. Yeah. The captain was not even sure that any person now living had beheld that carbon face. For the wrong side of Ingranic is very difficult and barren and sinister. And there are rumors of caves near the peak wherein dwell the night gaunts. But the captain did not wish to say just what a night gaunt might be like, since such cattle are known to haunt most persistently the dreams of those who think too often of them. If you think about them, then they'll come after you. <laughs> and have we heard of the night gaunts in any of other... No, this is, this is the first time that we get some night gaunt action here. It's such a great name. Something about it is just so creepy and uh, scary. We're going to get a lot more night gone action later. Uh, as they continue to oh, sail, yeah. on the fifth day, they pass over this sunken city where shadows are moving around. And in the night, Carter looks down and he sees the city itself. And, and there's this well, there's this like monolith in the middle of a court down there. Then by the watery moonlight, he noticed an odd high monolith in the middle of that central court and saw that something was tied to it. And when, after getting a telescope from the captain's cabin, he saw that that bound thing was a sailor in the silk robes of Oriab, head downward and without any eyes. He was glad that a rising breeze soon took the ship ahead to more healthy parts of the sea. What's that about? At first I thought maybe that's what became of our Iron German from the temple. Yeah, that, 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 that thought crossed my mind. Or maybe the, the guy from, uh, from Dagon, you know, because there was that big monolith. Oh, yeah. In, in Dagon, remember that's where the when Dagon come, or that the fish monster comes out and grabs the the monolith. Right. So I thought maybe maybe it was him, or you know maybe he's a dream version of that guy or something. Yeah. Who knows? Or it just could have been a nice bit of detail. I, I, some of the non sequiturs in the story I don't like so much, but that one was actually pretty creepy. That's really creepy. 
Oh, so Carter lands in uh, well, the whole ship lands in Yath, our village of Yath, mm-hmm. and uh, the the captain likes Carter so much that he's like, "Hey, you can come stay with me while you're in Yath." Yeah, and uh, you know, the next day, um, you can rent a zebra and uh, <laughs> go on up off the mountain. So he gets that zebra you talked about. Yeah, he goes down to Dave's zebra rental, <laughs> or uh, zebra for the uh, UK listeners. They say zebra out there. They say zebra here. Yeah, and in fact, man, I got to tell you, it's tough keeping my accent living here. Because I'm surrounded mm. by people that don't talk like me. You know, I have very little American right. influence except when I talk to you, Chad, or my parents mm. or some of my friends back home. And yeah. as I was reading the story, my brain said zebra. Uh oh, you're changing. I read it and, and thought zebra. And I go, oh, no, no, I must fight it. <laughs> Chris, you're in there. I love you. Fight it. You look in the mirror and these mutton chops are starting to build on the side of your face. Yeah. A little flat cap on your head and the Union Jack is like <laughs> starting to glow on your throat. <laughs> What's becoming of me? He rents his uh, a zebra and he goes up and starts making his journey. He heads along the Lake of Yath. And at one point he, he ties up the zebra and he takes a nap. Well, he doesn't take a nap. He sleeps for the night. Yep. Well, I don't know what they're doing in here. So if you sleep in the dream, are you... You're not waking up in waking life. It's just another level of sleep, right? Another level of dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they talks about, I think later in the story talks about having really bad nightmares or yeah. was it before when he was on the ship? The, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you can dream within dreams yeah. uh, in, in this world, in this setting, which is kind of weird. He does feel something kind of flutter, like an insect wing flutter against his face in the night. Yeah. But he doesn't think anything of it. He's like, whatever, yeah. you know, but when he wakes up, he mm-hmm. finds a dead zebra. Yeah. Dead zebra. Who's been, uh, <laughs> I think he's had his zebra blood drunk. I think he's been vampirized in some way, right? He's been vamped. All of his blood is gone, and his pack yeah. has been rummaged through uh, Carter's pack, and there's missing shiny objects. Yeah, all of his shiny objects are gone. So he's thinking, did he get robbed by the lava gatherers or maybe the night gods? I couldn't figure out for the rest of the story what it was that had robbed him. The The townspeople or the lava gatherers that he runs into, they say it is not night gods that did that. Yeah, yeah, because he says, you know, there's web footprints and, you know, there was a fluttering sound and, and uh, he goes, Does that, and they stole my shiny objects that sound like night gods and they, were, they, were, they got really... No, no, it's not, and didn't want to talk about it. So the next day, he gets a new zebra yep. from the lava gatherers. Yep. He buys it from him. They give him their blessings and warnings and tell him, you know, what you're doing is stupid, but have fun. And he takes off again. Yep, up the mountain. He's going for it. And, and it, you know, it's a, it's a long, arduous journey. And at one point, uh, he can't even take the zebra up anymore, so he tethers it. Yeah, that's right. And he's going to have to, he's gonna have to climb on his own. Carter's such an experienced dreamer, he's not really worried about it, and... He mentions here that he's got a curved scimitar. Yeah, he's armed. Which is what? That's just a big sword. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's the curved sword that you see, you know, like the Arabian Knight guys have. Right. He keeps climbing, and there's some good danger building here. It says, There now loomed aloft a great beetling mass, which hampered the upward view. And Carter was, for a moment, shaken with doubt, lest it prove impassable. Poised in windy insecurity, miles above the earth, with only space and death on one side and only slippery walls of rock on the other. He knew for a moment the fear that makes men shun in Granik's hidden side. He could not turn around, yet the sun was already low. If there were no way aloft, the night would find him crouching there still, and the dawn would not find him at all. When he gets around to that other side of Negranik, yeah, it's pretty dangerous stuff. Yeah. But as you say, luckily he's able to kind of figure out a way around. He's a great dreamer. He's a great dreamer. <laughs> and uh, he reaches the snow line. He kind of moves himself around. 
and then he sees Stern it. Stern and terrible shone that face that the sunset lit with fire. How vast it was, no mind could ever measure. But Carter knew at once that man could never have fashioned it. It was a god chiseled by the hands of the gods, and it looked down haughty and majestic upon the seeker. Rumor had said it was strange and not to be mistaken, and Carter saw that it was indeed so. For those long, narrow eyes and long-lobed ears, and that thin nose and pointed chin, all spoke of a race that is not of men, but of gods. And the thing about the faces, he recognizes. Yeah, he's he seen those before. He saw those faces at, at the seaport in Salafeas. So, I mean, that's great. That saved us some time. I was worried that we were going to have, you know, <laughs> many, many chapters of him wandering around the dreamlands. Have you seen this face? Have you seen this face? But he right away, he's got an yeah. idea of where it might be. Yeah, and everything's cool. So he's like, oh, great. Yeah. Good. It's now I better start my climb down. Wait a minute. What? My sword. What happened to my sword? Yeah. Some, uh, somebody lifted his sword. Suddenly, without a warning sound in the dark, Carter felt his curved scimitar drawn stealthily out of his belt by some unseen hand. Then he heard it clatter down over the rocks below, and between him and the Milky Way he thought he saw a very terrible outline of something noxiously thin and horned and tailed and bat-winged. Other things, too, had begun to blot out patches of stars west of him, as if a flock of vague entities were flapping thickly and silently out of that inaccessible cave in the face of the precipice. Then a sort of cold, rubbery arm seized his neck, and something else seized his feet, and he was lifted inconsiderately up and swung about in space. Another minute, and the stars were gone, and Carter knew that the night gaunts had got him. No, no, Carter! So that, I think, is a good place to end for our part one yeah. of the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Man, he's been sn- snagged by Nikon. What, Chad, we have to wait a whole week before we find out what happens? <laughs> I mean, you could, of course, just pick up the story and read it, but I would recommend yes, waiting could. a week. I want to thank Lance Holt. We didn't introduce him at the top of the story, but he's the one that's been doing our great readings for the story. He's going to continue to do those for us. Yeah, and uh, you may have recognized Lance from doing the Silver Key. His yeah. voice is as dreamy as are the stories he reads. I sip a cup of coffee because that was awesome. <laughs> and uh, we'll be seeing you next week for part two of the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Yeah. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. <laughs>